hope you have a Bible and go ahead and turn it out if you want turn into it to Matthew 18 as we get ready to begin today. Because I know that on October the 2nd, 2006, it was a day that started out like most others. People were getting up and going to work. Kids were heading off to school. However, for one community in a Pennsylvania Amish country, things quickly changed. In a little one-room Amish schoolhouse, a non-Amish man burst in, then eventually tied up 10 girls and shot them. Five died and five survived. In an instant, that community was changed forever. However, as horrifying as that event was, what probably shocked the world the most was the reaction of the Amish community to the tragedy. Within hours of the shooting, the people of Nichols' mind announced that they had forgiven the attacker. And on the day of the killings, members of the Amish community took food to the attacker's widow. And six days after the shooting, families who had just buried their daughters attended the, the attacker's funeral who had killed himself when the police stormed the school. As money poured in from around the world to help the Amish community, which was suffering with many medical bills, they diverted funds to the killer's family, even though, again, many victims still faced large medical bills of their own. Their actions stemmed from their belief that God wants us to forgive. And as they displayed these amazing actions, they showed the world this, that faith is forgiving. Now, we hear a story like this one, and though we are amazed at the actions of those in Nichols' mind, we still want to ask the question, is that really how God wants people of faith to respond? Does faith really mean forgiving in such a radical way? Well, to answer correctly, we must look into the scriptures, and as we do, we will discover that, yes, God wants people of faith to forgive extraordinarily. To begin, let's look at a passage found in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, we see Jesus teach many good things about dealing with those who we have a disagreement with or who we need to forgive. Beginning in verse 15, Jesus gives the great guidance that if someone has sinned against you, the first thing you do is you go to them one-on-one -on -one and try to get it resolved there. If you can't then get it one-on-one, -on -one, he says, then you take somebody else with you and you try to get it settled between the three of you. And if you can't get it settled there and it's a church matter, then you take it before the whole church body, all right? So he gives us that guidance. Well, then in verse 21, we see Peter ask a very relevant follow-up question when he said this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. What Peter was wanting in a way to know was what is the minimum requirement for forgiveness? In other words, how many times do you forgive before you don't have to forgive anymore? And Jesus made it clear that you don't keep track of how many times you forgive. The reality of Jesus' words is simply this, is that you keep forgiving. There is no limit to the times that you forgive someone. After that stunning reply to Peter, Jesus continues and he tells a parable that I want us to look at today as we consider the importance of forgiveness to a person of genuine faith. Let's read how it begins in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, let me pause and let's remember when Jesus began this lesson, he said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Therefore, what we need to see clearly is as we read here, Jesus is giving an earthly example that we can relate to, but its meaning goes much deeper. The truths that we are going to see taught here are truths that teach us about God and what faith should look like. This is not just a good story. And so, as we read, we must not only consider the surface level storyline. 
We must consider the spiritual truth that Jesus wants us to see. Because what we really are going to see is God, his heart, and his desires for those of faith. So let's keep reading about this king settling his accounts. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. Well, here as the story begins, we see a servant who's brought before the king who owed an extravagant amount of money, 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents doesn't mean much to us. And so let me give you a modern day equivalent. This man owed what would be equivalent of, hear me, you ready? 150,000 years of salary. You got that? 150,000 years of salary, well over $100 million. And what would be obvious is that this servant had required such a debt that he would have to, the only way he could have got it was to steal it. No way that he could have gotten that much any other way. Also, it would be obvious to those listening that there's no way he could pay it. I mean, can you imagine even your debtors coming to you and saying, I want you to pay me everything that, that you owe me today? And even if you only owed maybe 10000 plus on a car and everything else was paid, many of you here this morning would struggle just to pay that amount. And so can you imagine how hard it was going to be for this man to pay 100,000 years worth of payments? It was an impossibility that he faced. And because he couldn't pay, his master, the king, was going to sell him into slavery along with his wife and his kids and all the other assets so that he could recover what was possible. The king would take a loss, but he was going to get all that he could. Well, look at the servant's reaction in verse 26. And so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, the servant was obviously desperate, so he pleaded for patience. Patience in order to pay everything back. Now, let me ask you, based on what I just showed, told you about what he owed, could this servant ever pay back the debt he owed? No way, right? I mean, not at least in a legal manner. Maybe he went out and stole it again, right? Maybe he'd go, go pay it. But his debt was really far beyond his ability to pay. But still, he begged for patience. Knowing that the amount of his debt was too large to pay, he still asked. But look at the king's response in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. You see, this king took pity on his servant and forgave him the entire debt. Notice he didn't say, well, I will take a reduced amount. He didn't ask, well, what are you able to pay? The king simply looked at his servant who asked for mercy, and the king said, your debt is paid. You owe nothing anymore. What a stunning turn of events. Now, let me pause and make one of those spiritual observations that we need to make along the way. Just as this servant received extravagant forgiveness from the king, hear me, we can receive extravagant forgiveness from God. We need to clearly understand that you and I are represented by this servant in the story. We have such a huge debt to, that we owe to God that there is no way that we could ever repay it. If God came to us today and said, well, here's what you owe me because of your sin, we would realize the payment is too high. Because God is a holy God and perfect in every way, even what we would consider the smallest sin would require a hefty price. And so when we look back on our lives and consider all the sin that we have ever done, we know that we owe too much. In fact, the scripture is very clear, the price of our sin, because in Romans 6, 23, it makes it very clear that for the wages of sin is death. I mean, our death would be the only way to pay for our sin. That is a hefty price, is it not? It is, right? But thankfully, the scripture reminds us that God is like this king in the story. 
He, he desires to have compassion on us. And so all who cry out to God for forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ are forgiven. As it says in Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You see, what God has done for all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ is an extravagant forgiveness. And we should never forget that. We should be forever grateful for God's act of mercy. What this servant experienced was surely an extravagant forgiveness, but then look at what we read next in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. Pay what you owe me. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Well, let's remember as you read this text, the first servant owed 150,000 years worth of salary, and the second servant that now we read about owed the first servant an equivalent of, you ready, 100 days of wages. Now, that's an extreme difference, is it not? 150,000 years of salaries versus 100 days of salaries, an insignificant amount in comparison. Yet when this second servant begged to the first servant for patience, again, just as the first one did to the king, the servant refused and had his fellow servant thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, all right? That, that's always amazed me. I've mentioned it before, that you want somebody to pay you a debt, so you throw them into prison so they can pay the debt. How are they going to ever earn that money, all right? The only thing that is would be for retribution, all right? I'm just going to make you pay by being in prison. There's no way you're going to pay me the money. It, it's a ridiculous thing, but let's clearly understand that this first servant by his actions shows this, that a failure to forgive others is a failure to grasp the forgiveness that you have first received. You know, I think about as we read this story and when you understand the discrepancy in what was old, we want to ask, all right, or at least I do, we want to ask, how in the world could the second servant fail to forgive his fellow servant, all right, or the first servant fail to forgive the second servant, all right? We, we honestly have no good thoughts for that first servant, do we? I mean, we think, he's so despicable, that he would be forgiven so much, and then yet he would do this to his fellow servant. For him to act in this way, he had to be numb to what the king had done for him. He had to fail to grasp the grace that he'd been shown. All right, But as we think about that, let's consider this for a moment. When we fail to forgive people who've sinned against us, it is no different. Because the forgiveness that we have received from God is more extravagant than the forgiveness that this servant had received. And so we are no different than this, this first servant when we refuse to extend forgiveness to others. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. If we do this, if we fail to forgive others, we're no different than this first servant. Now, as we think about that truth for a moment, we're really faced with a deeper reflection as Jesus continues because he doesn't just end there. Look as he continues and what he taught. He said, when this, his fellow servants saw what had happened or what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now look, as we read this, we most likely in this moment applaud the actions of the king. Once he becomes aware of the actions of this servant to his fellow servant, whom, again, again, the servant who'd been forgiven, who failed to forgive this fellow servant, the king summons him and then throws him in the prison just as he had done to his other servant. And so at that moment, here's what we want to do. We want to look at the king and say, good job, king, right? Man, that justice is served. I'm glad you gave him what he deserved. Do, do we not? 
Am I the only one like that? Are y'all awake this morning? I'm not the only one like that, right? We, we want to applaud him. We want to say, oh, it's about time, all right? But, but here's what happens as we're really applauding this king at this moment. Our mood changes when we read what Jesus goes on to say next. And this is what he said in verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. All right. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Now our attitude changes just a little because we realize something. We are being called to a radical forgiveness, which we have, have a hard time doing. If we haven't before, we now recognize that Jesus is talking to us. And in essence, what Jesus is saying here is this. An unwillingness to forgive others is evidence that one has not personally received God's forgiveness. Now, we know from reading all of Scripture that God doesn't just cast us aside on a whim. Even last week, we said that there is a security to be found in God's love. God is able to keep us when we have trusted in his love. However, we are faced with considering is, have we truly experienced God's forgiveness? You see, I, I don't believe we should look at this text and say, if I fail to get forgive, then I've fallen out of God's grace. But I do believe one can look at a refusal to forgive and ask the question, have I truly understood and received God's forgiveness personally in the first place? Because when you truly understand what God has done for you, it becomes much easier to forgive others of even the greatest of sins. Even murder as evidenced by the Amish community I shared with you earlier. So if you are failing to forgive, then there is this need to check your spirit and to see where do I stand with God. Now, I do believe it's okay to do this. It's okay to recognize that forgiveness is not always the easiest thing to do. I don't even think that this easy forgiveness is what Jesus is teaching, because he is, but he is teaching that a failure to forgive can be an indicator of where your heart is. And so let's take some time to get real practical this morning, okay? And let's talk about what is forgiveness, all right, if today God sees forgiveness as a necessity in a believer's life, then what does that forgiveness look like? Well, let's consider a few things. And first of all, let's consider what forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness is not forgetting. How many of you heard the old saying, uh, forgive and forget? All right, I believe we all know that's impossible. Yes? Right. The human mind is an amazing thing and sometimes a frustrating thing because most of us realize that the things that we have a tendency to remember the most are the bad things. Therefore, when someone does something against you, you have a hard time ever forgetting it. And so if you buy into the lie that forgiving is forgetting, then you will be most miserable because in a way you cannot help but remember. In a moment, we will talk about what to do with the memory, but you cannot help when an old hurt comes up, which it surely will. You need to know that just because you haven't forgotten doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. In fact, the Amish community I mentioned earlier, 10 years after the event, held a special picnic to remember the day. They may have forgiven the killer, but they had not forgotten what had happened, okay? Next, forgiveness is not no pain. Now, this relates some to the first point I made, but just to mention, this goes a little bit deeper because you need to understand that just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you'll never feel the pain again. In fact, Aaron Esch, Jr., who was one of the boys in the one-room schoolhouse the day of the attack, who was let go just before the killings took place, said 10 years after the event, the heartache is still there. I take it one day at a time. Remembering something doesn't mean there will always be pain, but honestly, often the memory of a hurt can bring the pain to the surface again. 
And because we are emotional creatures, we cannot just turn the emotion off. I mean, the only way for you, honestly, folks, to ever get rid of the pain of all the hurt in your life is you have to become an emotionless robot. And who wants to be an emotionless robot? None of us, right? I hope we don't. I don't think that's our goal, and it shouldn't be, all right? And we shouldn't be surprised when even the pain of the hurt that someone has caused you many years earlier comes back. But just like point one, just because you hurt again doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. You can move to forgiveness but still hurt. Now, as we consider the need to consider that forgiveness or continue, we need to consider that forgiveness is also not ceasing justice. For some believe that in order to forgive someone, you must free them from any consequences, but that's not necessarily true. In fact, freeing someone from the consequences of their hurtful actions could be the worst thing in the world for them, could be the worst thing for them in the long run, because consequences are there for a reason, ultimately to prevent future misdeeds. Therefore, forgiving someone does not mean you cease wanting justice. For example, the parent of a child killed by a drunk driver might be able to forgive the perpetrator. However, that doesn't mean that the, the driver should not suffer jail time or suspended license or fines or whatever offenses that it warrants, all right? Whatever it warrants, okay? Even the parents in the Amish tragedy had said, had the shooter lived, they would have wanted justice served. You see, forgiveness obviously means hoping that whatever consequences come would rehabilitate the perpetrator, but it doesn't mean justice stops. I believe some people refuse to forgive because they believe if they forgive, they have to stop hoping for justice when that's just simply not the case. Also, forgiveness is not making it easy to be hurt again. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you ignore the offense and let someone hurt you another time. They may choose to hurt again. What I found is people who hurt often hurt and, you know, repeated, all right? They're repeat offenders. But you have to, at times, set up boundaries to keep offenders from easily hurting you. It is why, at times, a spouse that has been abused has to separate because of the physical danger that is likely. Just because one forgive does not mean you put yourself back into harm's way or even be manipulated by the offender saying, if you really forgive me, then you would welcome me back. No, at times, boundaries have to be set to prevent the likelihood of a future hurt. And then last, forgiveness is not a one-time event. Because we can't, can't, forgive, can't forget, because hurt often resurfaces, and because consequences linger, and because boundaries have to be set, one who is hurt is faced with the reality that you have to reaffirm your decision to forgive time and time again. Now, forgiveness, in a way, is in the past. I mean, it's an event. There has to be that time where you say, I have forgiven, all right? But in a way, forgiveness must be a lifelong process as you continue to forgive in your heart over and over again. Now, here's what I know. I hit those five things very quickly, but I felt it necessary to touch on what forgiveness is not. But here's where I really want to focus our time today is what on forgiveness is. Because if we can understand what forgiveness is, then maybe we as people of faith can demonstrate forgiveness to a world that needs it because we know God desires, all right, the faith that's forgiving. And so we need to know what is forgiveness. Well, forgiveness is first this. It's praying for those who hurt you. I believe everyone who gets hurt would say forgiving someone can be hard. Would you not? How many would say it's hard? All right, you, you would? Unless you are that rare person who seems to move on quickly, most people struggle to forgive, at least completely. So how do you start to forgive? Well, you start by praying for the person who needs your forgiveness, by praying for the person who hurts you. Maybe that sounds strange to you, but let's remember a couple of important scriptures. Luke 6, 28, it says this, bless those who curse you and pray for those 
who abuse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Wow, that seems hard to do, but it's God's call to us to pray for those who hurt us. Now, why do we pray for those who, need, who we need to forgive? First of all, because of this. Because when you pray for someone, it's harder to be upset with them when you're praying for them. I mean, since you're praying to God, you're praying to the one who created everyone, who loves everyone, who wants to redeem everyone. And when you pray to him, it should be hard for you to be angry at his people. Then when you pray, God is at work in your heart to change you. See, let's remember this. You, do, you are aware of this, right? Prayer is never meant to change God. Y'all know that, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever, right? So he's not going to change. So what is prayer about? It's not about changing God. It's about changing us, me, you, right? It's about us. And so when you go to God in prayer and you begin to pray for this person who you need to forgive, what God begins to do in your heart is move you to a place of forgiveness because here's what I know, all right? If you're praying to God and God wants you to forgive and you're praying about someone you need to forgive, where is he going to move you to? A place of forgiveness, right? Again, I know in my life there have been various times when I've been struggling to forgive someone that I started by praying for them and by asking for God to change my heart and to work in my life and work in that person's life and work in the hurt that was there. And here's what God did. In the midst of that, God Again, give me the ability to eventually forgive them, all right? And what I've discovered, again, when I begin to pray, God changes my heart, and it eventually comes. Now, I'll say this. It might take many, many prayers. There's been times I've had to pray for forgiveness, and it wasn't a one-time prayer. It wasn't a two-time prayer. It wasn't a three-time prayer. It was a many, many many-time prayer. But the more I prayed, eventually God gave me release and allowed me to have that forgiveness in my life, all right? Because God wants us to pray. On top of that, let's remember when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We want to pray to God for his forgiveness, but what if, what if God's forgiveness of you is the same measure as the forgiveness you give to others? If that was the case, let me ask you, would you be forgiven by God today? If not, pray for those who have hurt you until you are able to forgive and able to pray sincerely. God, forgive me as I have forgiven others. You see, forgiveness is praying for those who hurt you. But then forgiveness is also releasing bitterness. Let's be honest. When we fail to forgive someone, okay, when we fail to forgive someone, something begins to grow inside of us that's not good. Yes? Shake your head this way if you agree. Something begins to grow. It's it's this bitterness that begins to grow inside of us. And it's bitterness that if it's not dealt with can eat away at our soul. That's why in Hebrews 12 it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see, if you let bitterness grow, it would cause much trouble, sometimes even trouble for innocent parties who have to interact with you because bitterness often causes many negative things, including being mean and hateful and all those things, right? That is why even in Ephesians 4, we're told this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love the way this is stated when it says, put it all away, put it away, put all that malice, put that hatred, put it out of your life. It reminds us that we have to choose to put bitterness out of our lives. We have to release it and not hold on to it. What we are called to do reminds me of a medieval story. 
The story is told of these two monks who one day they were traveling down the road and as they were traveling, they came to this rough river that was very difficult to cross. And as they approached that river, there was a lady sitting next to that river and this lady turned to the monks and said, listen, can you help me get across the river so that I can make my way home? Well, one of the monks, because he knew in their religion it was forbidden for them to touch one of the opposite sex, just quickly turned, it, turned his head to try to ignore the lady, all right, because he didn't even want to acknowledge the request. But then the second monk, having compassion on the woman, took her up in his arms, walked across the river with her, put her down on the other side. The lady, just being thankful for what this monk had done, turned and thanked him and then went on her way. Well, the two monks, after that, they began their journey on. And after they had walked many, many miles down the road, the first monk turned to the other monk in disgust and said, I can't believe you picked up that woman. You know we're never supposed to touch the opposite sex. The compassionate monk replied, I put her down miles ago, yet you continue to carry her in your heart. Ouch, (laughs) right? So often we carry things in our lives that we should have put down a long time ago. I've even discovered that the person who has hurt me and I'm bitter towards has often moved on while I suffer with the bitterness. You see, God calls us to release this bitterness. Releasing bitterness doesn't mean you're overlooking what someone has done. Releasing bitterness simply means you are trusting that person and the harm he or she has done to you to God, knowing that God can take care of both you and the other person. In fact, maybe Stephen Nolte said it best as he studied the forgiveness of the Amish community, co-authoring a book entitled Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcends Tragedy. He noted this, that if that killer had lived, that in the Amish community, listen, The decision to forgive the killer would have been collective. In other words, they would have all chosen to forgive and about giving up the right to revenge and grudges. Giving up the right to revenge and grudges. And that's probably a good understanding of what releasing bitterness is about. It's giving up revenge and grudges. God calls, uh, God's call on our lives is to stop harboring the feelings of hatred and to give up the need for revenge and to trust that hurt to him, all right? That's what he wants us to do. And because releasing bitterness can be hard to do, you need to also know that forgiveness is this next thing. It's keeping your eyes on Jesus. Look at what we're told to do in Colossians 3. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is not really the first time we've seen a similar statement, but what is key here is looking to Jesus as our example. You understand? You forgive as the Lord has what? Forgiven you, right? When you struggle with forgiveness, what you do is look to Jesus and say, I didn't deserve your forgiveness, but you gave it to me anyway, and therefore, you name the person who's offended you. They don't deserve my forgiveness either, all right? But I'm going to forgive them as you have forgiven me, all right? You see, that's what God wants us to do. That's what it takes, looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm looking to what you did for me, and it's amazing. I didn't deserve it, but God, you gave it to me anyway. And so, God, now I'm going to give forgiveness to those in my life who may not deserve it. You see, the world's not going to understand that, But the forgiveness that God has given to us through faith in Jesus, does it make sense? Does it make sense that God would forgive you? 
Absolutely not. All right? So if you have received his forgiveness, then you should look at him and follow his example. We forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And, and this is one reason why it's, it's fair to even question whether one who fails to forgive has actually placed his or her faith in Jesus. The forgiveness that we receive is so great that it should compel us to forgive others. You see, at, at this point, forgiveness, I'm sure, seems like a big deal. Does it seem like a big deal? All right. Maybe for some a little impossible. Yeah, don't raise your hand if that's you, right? But this last thing that we're going to see that forgiveness is for a believer is really going to challenge us because I really haven't said anything yet, right? Because for a believer, forgiveness is also this, seeking to do good to those who harm you. Now, before you look at this a little closer, let me remind you that forgiveness is not making it easy for someone to hurt you again, all right? I want that out there clear. Especially physical hurt. If that's, your, if that's your experience, you don't put yourself back in that situation. What the perceived actions of the other person might do would play into what one actually would do at this point. But let's hear what the scripture says to us. You ready? Listen to what it says in Romans. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Maybe these verses led to the famous expression, two wrongs don't make a right. And that's true, is it not? God surely doesn't want anyone who has been done wrong to then take that as justification for the wrongdoing of their own and to do wrongdoing in return. God never gives us that right. God's word clearly says you seek to do what is honorable even when you have been done evil. We can take such an approach because we are told here that vengeance belongs to the Lord. One of the reasons, hear me, one of the reasons today you can release your bitterness that we talked about earlier is because you don't need to seek revenge. God can do a better job of vengeance than you. Do you hear me? Instead, God wants you to do good to your enemies. Help someone who's done you wrong. Do something for them that they need. Let me give you an example, all right? What if the person who did you wrong used to be a good friend? No one's ever had a good friend do you wrong here, right? No one ever has. But let's pretend. Let's pretend that person that did you wrong was a good friend. It may have been years ago. And here's the reality. It fractured your relationship so much you haven't spoken since. What if you hear all of a sudden that this past friend now has cancer? What would your reaction be? Would you rejoice that this person had cancer saying, oh, they're getting what they deserved, all right? I hope not. Instead, hope or ask this question, would you reach out to them instead and offer up prayer, even help. I hope so. Sometimes an act of kindness instead of revenge is the very thing that sparks reconciliation. And in fact, I've seen personal examples of this happening. In fact, when this scripture says that by treating your enemy with kindness, you heap burning coals on his head, it doesn't mean you cause them pain, all right? That's what some people say. Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause them pain. I'm going to heap coals on their head. going to burn them up, right? Y'all awake, right? That doesn't mean that. 
The imagery here most likely goes back to an image where they, people would have burning coals on their heads of repentance, where they had repented from something, and this was a symbol that they had repented, all right? And so what this is imagery is that you would treat them in such a way that you would lead them to see the errors of their way, that they would repent and change and do right. Who knows that they might even come to you and say, I'm sorry, all right. This is, listen, surely it's safe to say this, reading all the scripture, it's not God's heart that we would have actions that would seek to cause hurt to somebody, would it? I think it makes sense to say that God would want us to have actions that seek to bring, listen, peace and reconciliation and repentance rather than this physical pain. Whatever is the case, here's what very clear from scripture, that God desires that we return evil with good because Faith is forgiving. Now, let's pause for a moment, because before we close, I want to ask some questions. There's a type of forgiveness I just described, describe your life. I hope so, because I truly believe looking into the scriptures, this is the kind of forgiveness that should be present in the life of a person of faith. See, faith, no doubt, is forgiving, and so we are called to forgive in this way. If your life of faith is not described by a forgiveness that is praying for those who hurt you and releasing bitterness and keeping your eyes on Jesus and seeking to do good to those who harm you, then you need to take a few moments to consider why. Why is this not my kind of faith? Why am I not living this out? So question number one is simply this. Do you really have faith? The first thing you have to ask is, do I have faith? That question is of the utmost importance. In fact, maybe you are not forgiving a forgiving person because you've never received God's forgiveness yourself. If that is the case, before you can ever hope to forgive others, you need today to receive God's forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me, Jesus did live that sinless, perfect life. He did offer his life of a sacrifice for your sin. Jesus, you remember, even asked the Father while hanging upon the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did he not? Then he died for your sin and mine and three days later rose again so that he would give us the opportunity ourselves to be forgiven as he overcame sin. But then he also is giving us the opportunity to be forgiving people. And so the question that you have to ask today, if you look and say, I, I don't have that kind of forgiveness in my life, let's stop and ask the question, have you received God's forgiveness today? If not, where it starts for you today is crying out to God and saying, Lord, please forgive me. This is the day to confess your sin to God. This is the day to ask Jesus into your heart and by faith, trust in him and receive God's amazing, extraordinary forgiveness. God wants to forgive you today. And so if you've never received it, you reach out to it this afternoon or this, this morning, all right? Now, if you have done that, but you still would say, well, the kind of forgiveness that we looked at today still doesn't describe my life, Brother Scott. Then I wanna challenge you to begin to forgive in this way because it is the Lord's will for you. It, it might be that simply today, you've not grown in your faith and you've not matured in this area of your life to where you can forgive as the Lord desires. But listen, if that's the case, can I say this to you? It's time to move on to maturity. It's time to move and become the people that God wants us to be. It's time to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, and it's time to forgive as the Lord wants. Maybe before today, you didn't understand that the radical kind of forgiveness that we've looked at today is what God desires. But now that you do, I'm here to tell you there is no excuse. It's time to forgive as the Lord desires. And let me say this. 
The world needs this kind of forgiveness. Can I say something? I I mean, for you to hold a grudge, for you to seek revenge, for you to be hateful, all those things in response, that's what the world does. That's normal for the world. Yes? All right. That's what the world sees every day. But we're talking about in here, what does it mean to be people of faith? What does it mean to walk with God? And today, I'm here to tell you, if we're going to walk with God and be the people that God wants us to be, we're to forgive in this radical way. The world needs it. So even when they look at us and say, how can you forgive like that? We can look and say, because the Lord has forgiven me. I I may not agree with everything that the Amish community does, but I'm here to tell you, their display of forgiveness, all right, their display of forgiveness shows what it means to have faith in God. To say, I forgive in this way. And I know this morning, I don't know what all has happened in your life. I know for some of you, the challenge to forgive is even more difficult than I can imagine. I I get that. But what we cannot deny is this, is that faith is forgiving. And God calls us to a radical forgiveness. And so this morning is God's people. Let's be forgiving people because faith is forgiveness. All right, would you bow with me, Father? As I bow into your presence this morning, again, I know that um, some messages are a little bit harder to preach and a little bit harder to receive because you know that they just hit home. And I have no doubt this morning that this message on forgiveness is one that we all need. And so, Father, my prayer would be, as I prayed earlier, that you would help us to receive it. Help a heart to be open to your word. And Father, to receive that word and now act upon that word. Because, Father, we've been here this morning. We've heard your truth. But now we're walking out the door, Father. And that person who hurt us, God, may be waiting. But, Father, today my prayer would be that you would help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. And, God, if that's going to happen, I know we have to keep our eyes upon you today. And so, Lord, I pray even as we come to this invitation that we turn our eyes to you. And as we look to you, Father, that we would forgive as you have forgiven us. And so bless this invitation, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. 